0: Before we get started, just a quick note about something you hear at the end of the show. In the credits, I mentioned that Nate Schweber does the music, and don't worry, he still does, but I wanted to tell you that he's got a new album out. It's called Gaps, and it's available for download or in handy CD format, and I invite you to check out nateschweber.bandcamp.com to listen to snippets and to add it to your musical collection. Thanks for supporting independent musicians. And now, here's that familiar Nate tune to get us started. I'm John Hall. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets the bottom of every pint. Tom Troncone of Muckraker Beer Maker is my guest this week, and we're going to be talking about spontaneous beers, seltzers, and being a professional brewer as well as a fan. We're going to get to all of it in a minute, but on the line with me right now is Neil Callahan. He's the brand manager of Cigar City Brewing, which is the sponsor of this episode. Neil, thanks so much and welcome to the show. We're talking about Highlight today.
1: Always looking forward to talking Highlight with you, John.
0: So it's your flagship, but I'm curious as to what's made it an enduring favorite by the fans.
1: I think Highlight IPA is a brand that really bridged the gap between where IPAs were in the early 2000s and early 2010s and where IPAs have gone in the year 2020. There's much more fruit forward, um, kind of lower bitterness beers. Highlight IPA is a beer that does have that familiar bitterness of the sort of classic American IPAs, but it takes a back seat and really the tropical qualities of the hops that we're using are front and center. And when the beer was released in 2009, it was really one of the first beers that really emphasized the fruit qualities of the hops and the bitterness was really there playing a supporting role.
0: And so for the IPA fans that are used to some of the more juicier fruit forward IPAs today, there's a lot of that characteristic in there, but also something for the old school drinkers as well.
1: Absolutely, yeah, it really connects those two sort of uh, ends of the IPA spectrum.
0: Well, we're going to have more with Neil later on this show, but for now, I'm going to encourage you all to go check out CigarCityBrewing.com to learn more about Highlight IPA. I've known Tom Troncone since before I was writing about beer. We were competing reporters at newspapers in the New York metro area. The nature of our jobs, covering crime and breaking news, often meant that we'd be hanging out at crime scenes in the middle of the night. We were always friendly, but we'd work to beat each other's brains out in the paper the following day. When I started writing about beer, I discovered that Tom was a home brewer, as well as a big beer fan. He knew all the whales and where to find them, was at all of the important releases and bottle shares. And all along, he was harboring this idea of opening his own brewery. And finally decided that it was time to leave journalism behind and open muckraker it's based in northern part of new jersey where he can focus on spontaneous beers from his cool ship local ingredients and barrel aging and it occurred to me that this type of brewing was just right for an old ink stained wretch like tom as reporters we don't dictate the news but simply follow the story where it goes it makes sense to understand the beat you're covering so you can have context but you just have to let events unfold Spontaneous sales are like that. Nature, not a recipe, dictates the way. Tom stopped by my backyard a few weeks ago when the, we- when the weather was warm and we could properly social distance while having a few pints. We're two old print guys finding our way, so there's a bit of newsroom talk, but also a lot of cool insight from a beer maker who still very much loves drinking beers from other breweries. And it occurred to me that I hadn't seen Tom since before the pandemic swept the country, so we started there. Here's our conversation. Thank you, John. The last time I saw you in person, you were pretty much near death. This is true. We were at the Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wines Festival, which is in Breckenridge, Colorado, which has a lot of bees to, to get through and then a C. And uh, you got altitude poisoning. I did. It was, it was
2: a good time. <laughs> was it? No. It sucked. <laughs> I never want to experience that again. I just I saw you get progressively worse. I felt over myself the four get progressively worse that,
0: that that we were there. But you were a trooper. You stood there in the hall and you're offering your beers. And I think you were just one of three Jersey breweries, right? Or two Jersey
2: breweries. It's just you and James Priest from the Referend, right? I don't know any others. I think um Mike Kane was there. Oh Mike I, Kane was there. That's right. So was Kane there? Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So you were trying to do Jersey Proud, you're trying to do your brand proud, but you were you were pretty close to
2: I actually was probably pretty close to death. Um, like my pulse ox was really low. I had to go to the hospital. They gave me oxygen. Um, not a fun memory. Uh, do one of my. You were getting oxygen before it was. I had oxygen yeah. delivered to the room. I was on. I had cans of oxygen. I had those little stupid like one shot oxygen things. I was staying hydrated. I was drinking coconut milk. I was doing every goddamn thing you could think of, and and. Uh, I still have a, a. I'm not. I won't mention the guy's name because I'm still mad at him, but uh, I, I remember being in, on the floor. We had dinner the first night, and someone was talking about their their beautiful new watch that could tell you like your pulse ox. And the last day when we were doing the tasting, uh, I was you know I was the only one at the booth. I was hurting real bad, and I could tell that I, there was something really wrong. And uh, <laughs> the dude walked by. I'm like, oh my god, dude, can I? can I please like take my pulse ox I think it's really bad right now and he goes nah I think it'll throw off my stats and like refused to do it <laughs> man. and I was like god man that's the worst then yeah then I ended up, I was in a hospital like two hours later but then it was, like luckily I had friends out there who carried all my beer back to the room and yeah. they ended up Bill Young at lambic.info ended up with like a sixthel of like the frambois <laughs> and he was drinking it in his basement I was like oh at least someone got something out of it <sighs> So that was January. That was January.
0: Yeah. How's your year been since then?
2: You know, everything's peaceful and calm in yeah. the world. How's and, your pandemic going? You know, I've been blessed in a way. You know, we're up in Sussex County, which is probably the least populous county in New Jersey. I don't know how to compare it to like Cumberland, but... Um, so you're at the top of the state. The very, I'm the northernmost brewery in New Jersey in the okay. northwest corner where like it meets New York and to a lesser extent Pennsylvania but we live in Bergen County which was like you know one of the initial hotspots um so i drive up there every day and it was nice to be able to uh drive up to the country every day and you know i'm the only one at the brewery you know most days right so it was like either i was going to sit home and do nothing or be at the brewery by myself it was really no different than uh you know than being isolated somewhere but it was interesting because Starting in like March, for the first like six weeks, four weeks maybe, people were buying more beer than they knew what to do with. I have a friend who runs a store, a liquor store, fairly high volume. You know, they were doing three times their volume. And, you know, you're talking like $3 million a week. Yeah. Um, You know, obviously we weren't weren't doing that on our like 200 barrel a year um, business model. Exactly. Uh, But it was, it was, I, you know, I when I think back to March, I think of walking out into the parking lot. I had a barrel set up and I would walk out. It had like, you know, winter jacket on. It's like sleeting. It's like 14 degrees. And like leaving with a mask, leaving a bag of beer or a box of beer on top of the barrel. As someone like kind of emerged from their car, didn't really want to get eye contact or too close. Like, <laughs> thank you. It was the worst. And then everyone in April, they basically realized, holy shit, we bought a lot of beer. And it kind of slowed down. And then when they opened, let us open up outside in the beer garden in June, um, that helped a lot. You know, uh, we have that until mid-November. It's going to start getting pretty cold up there. We're in this old quarry um, where the wind just whips through. So it's going to get kind of cold um, come December. So... You know the hard part right now is, what do you do? Do you, our bar going to be open? Should you put a lot of beer in kegs? Should you put a lot of beer in bottles? Um, should you expect to just have to-go growler sales or crowler sales, um, and bottle sales? You know, are you going to be stuck with like all these kegs of beer? Um, it's it's hard to know what, you know, January, December, February, March looks like.
0: So I mentioned this before. We started in, uh, in the introduction of the show, but I've known you for a lot of years. I've known you outside of beer. In fact, I, I first met you when we were both newspaper reporters. Yeah, I think it's like
2: 16 years. It's It's, it's been
0: a while. Yeah. Um, and you're one of the very, very few people from my you know old life that I knew professionally uh, that I know in this new life professionally. You know, Same. Who, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So, so you sort of make the jump um, to that. But before you became a Brewer or a blender, you were a beer fan, you know. A, a, a background I still in, am a beer fan, no, I, I I, and I want to talk about were. that. Yeah, but like you didn't have a background. Journalism is not necessarily a background that people jump from into beer making, but it is a background where you consume a lot of beer, uh, yeah, or alcohol in general, correct? Yes, uh, you know, most of the better newsrooms are better stocked than some of the finest bars in the country,
2: yeah. And, and I worked at a, a digital organization that had a drinking problem, they had a had a an Irish pub in the center of their headquarters with flowing taps. Really? So, yeah.
0: Where was this? Patch
2: and AOL. Um, when AOL and Patch. Yeah. Uh, if you went to the headquarters of Patch on, I think it was seven 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 Broadway. Um, I think it was that building. Maybe in a different building that they had a second one across the street. Um, and in the center of the. It wasn't really a newsroom because it was more the technical side. Uh, and marketing and all that but the center of it was an Irish pub with actual you know booths um, and this guy Josh Cotton really good home brewer um, made beer that they served on tap there and they used to when journalists would come you know and they'd have reporters in they'd joke and say they were they would not entirely be truthful and say oh no they don't they're just for show they weren't just for show those things had beer flowing in it <laughs>
0: I feel like that'd be really dangerous. I've still resisted putting in a kegerator here
2: or a draft system here at the house just because... We're talking 2014. It's not like we're talking yeah. Uh, 2002.
0: Yeah. But so, making the yeah. jump, though. But, yeah, so so you're, you're not unfamiliar with drinking, certainly. But a lot of folks who get into drinking. it, uh, you know, come from, uh, you know, have a, like a science background or at least an interest in, in, in science. Journalism is not science... Uh, in fact, like, by and large, we usually stay away from you know, working on math equations and things of import. But where did the idea come from making the jump from journalism to homebrewing? Because this is a second career for you as well. This isn't you know something that you you just did journalism for you know three years and decided that. I did 24 years.
2: Yeah, that's, that's the thing. This is a second career for you. Yeah, I'll do you this, this for point. 24 years and just throw some dirt over me and we're good. Why make the jump? So. <laughs> it's your cell phone that I forgot to ask you to silence yeah, sorry. before we started. Yeah. Um, you know, the inter- I mine. would say the interesting thing, though, is that when you're a journalist, you have to, you know, you have to become an instant expert on things almost every day. Right. Um, depending what your beat is. Yeah. And I think that natural curiosity lends itself to exploration into, you know, wild fermentation and, and, you know, wanting to not just, you know, journalists aren't cookie cutter. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, generally we're pretty interesting bunch of people. Um, but truth be told, you know, my best friend growing up and I were always super competitive. You know, if you gave us a, put us in a room with nothing, you know, within like five minutes, we'd have a game. We'd have rules. We'd be arguing about the rules. We'd be, you know, best of five, um, when that carried on in a healthy way, not an unhealthy way, and I went to his house one day and he was like, "Dude, I brewed a batch of beer." It's about twelve years ago, something like that, and uh, I was like, "You brewed a what? I have to brew a batch of beer now." <laughs> so you know, I, I started with the. So it's just it's a game of one upmanship. So you know, I started with extract yeah. brewing, and you know, twelve years ago, and it quickly moved to to all grain. It quickly, you know, I quickly uh, pissed off my girlfriend by. Um, Boiling off or pasteurizing a kettle sour on the kitchen stove, which I don't recommend no. because it's kind of like if you took vomit and put it in a dirty baby diaper and then lit it on fire and a picture it's sticking on your walls for like, I don't know, 12 weeks or something. So she kicked me outside, um, which actually was a blessing because I was able to get bigger equipment and I got, a cool, I, I, I had, I got an old maple syrup evaporating pan, um, maple sap evaporating pan to... Um, to use an outdoor cool ship and I put it under like my trees in the spring and stuff when they were like blossoming. Um, and you know, that's kind of started my foray into spontaneous fermentation, but you know, I don't know, man, it's, it's journalism kind of, I I would hate to be a journalist right now. I gotta be honest with you. You know, it's, it's, uh, my, my last, um, you know, my last bit of journalism was at like NJ.com.
0: Yeah which and used to be the star ledger which used to be which used to be a the star great ledger, newspaper yeah
2: used to be a great newspaper yeah um, i worked there for a but time. you know yeah. you did and the interesting thing was you know you'd have a reporter write a story about i don't know like something some inane topic um but a third comment I, am I allowed to curse here? Sure.
0: Yeah. No. You already have. So I've already put the the e on the. Oh, sorry. On
2: the can not i, I t. I can't. Ta- I can't talk about cursing. No, that's fucking um, fine. But the uh, <laughs> you write a third comment, it would be like you fucking cock. I'm like, whoa! What are you, what are you talking about? It's like well, we just write a story. It was about the library putting extra books in or something. You know. <laughs> it used to be years ago when I was at starting my career as a kid at the Herald News. You, you people would come into the front entrance and they'd be like hey, Tom, there's someone for you in the lobby. And you'd walk out and they'd be like, hey, I read your story yesterday. You know, I'm not entirely sure you were completely fair. I'm like, oh, really? Well, you know, and you have a discussion with the person and they'd make good points. And, you know, because you're in person. And, you know, I think it was Mike Tyson said the internet, has, social media has made people all too comfortable with being disrespectful to other people without the fear of getting punched in the face. True. And I was like, you know what? Iron Mike's right. Um, but it just kind of the world changed. But now, you know, people come in and they're having beers or smiling, laughing, having a good time. You know, the toxicity and downsizing and small-minded ownership and all that bullshit for the last 10 years. You know, publishers who didn't know what the hell they were doing. Corporate structures that just stifled every bit of creativity and fun and launched things like Fun Club so that you could have forced fun you know i'm done with all that <laughs> shit i'm just we're just going to make beer and have have a good time until this rides over
0: it's interesting Feamed. to me though yeah no <laughs> you actually reminded me when people would show up at the at the newsroom uh i worked out in indianapolis at the indy star and at the bottom of all the articles uh, at this point in time they would put your name and your phone number and it would just simply say call star reporter john hall at you know 317-444
2: double use of the word star there by the way i know
0: i know that's uh yeah and (laughs) um and whatever the the last four digits were and they there'd be a a guy named bob i want to (laughs) say who would take it literally so after he was done reading an article in that day's paper he would call you and he would just say hi this is bob checking in it's like thanks bob and like that's it but you could hear like the phone go, like if you if you knew the layout of the paper that day, you could hear him sort of jump from reporter <laughs> to reporter around the newsroom, um, and then it was always sort of this really tough thing if he didn't call you, because it means that he got bored somewhere in your story, and he then jumped out, and the, yeah, and then didn't get he to the end, to end, the end out of the and story. the instructions to right uh, tighter, to John, right yeah. tighter. So um, I usually I had a pretty good Bob uh, Bob ratio, but it was um, uh,
2: my metrics were, were pretty strong I mean strong the days. You know, I was a crime reporter for the first 10 years, and then I was an editor for, like, 15. Yeah. You know, you'd be sitting in a newsroom, and, like, you get a a phone call. The person next to you, your editor gets a phone call. And, like, it's just someone saying, tell that troncone motherfucker he'll be dead by midnight. (laughs) And you're like, oh, okay. You know, (laughs) let's call the Passaic police. Because I... um, But, uh, you know,
0: those were always fun calls, like when yeah. I would get like calls from the security department being like, have you noticed anything suspicious around you? Of course, I'm at a bar somewhere and I was like, huh?
2: I don't know, probably. <laughs> I had my life threatened three times, though. It's not that bad. 24 years, three times is not that bad. Did you have guns pulled on you? Once. Yeah, yeah. me too. Once uh, in one of the old housing projects in Patterson, I was, you know, young and said, hey, let's go do a story on the mechanisms of, like, the drug-dealing operation and, and, like, where the sentries are and, like, you know, how how the money is moved around. And,
0: I, it's an ambitious story and, you know, and it's necessary. Especially if you, just, if, if you
2: just walk up and start asking those questions, you know? <laughs> so, you know, they very politely told me with a gun to uh, yeah. to not come back. And I didn't, you know, for a couple of days. And then I just sort of kept my distance a little bit. My, uh... I was
0: covering something. It was a a, a benign story, like a plane crash or something that happened in a neighborhood down in Mercer County somewhere. It was like rural Mercer County. And, um, I'm going, I'm knocking on, on doors to just see, you know, did anybody hear anything when the plane was going down, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, uh, I'm walking up a driveway. The lights are on in the house, but the lights are off on the porch. And I figure, all right, you know, like one of the last stops in the night, and I've gotten some good stuff, but this house is within the radius. Ooh, look at you opening up a foamy fun thing. And uh, I get pretty close to the front door, I and I see a, uh, uh, a, a burning cigarette ember. And I hear the very unmistakable chunk of a shotgun being primed. And then a voice saying, state your business. And I pull up my press credentials and, you know, I announce who I am and why I'm there and say, you know, sir, would you would would you like to tell me about, you know, what you might have heard with this plane crash or seen with this plane crash? And there's this the longest silence of my life, which was which was only probably in reality, about two or three seconds. And uh, and, and the voice simply says, nope, don't think I want to do that. And I said, thank you very much, sir. And I just I walked backwards off of the. Off of this the, this front walk, I got in my car, shook for a couple of minutes, and then uh, called the desk with my notes and said, okay, I'm going home.
2: I was threatened with arrest more than I was threatened with death. By cops? Oh, yeah. Okay. I was a cops re- police reporter. Oh, so. well, yeah.
0: No, I was as well. I don't know if I ever got threatened with arrest. Yeah, I had a mouth. Yeah, well, that's... You do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you're a beer maker now. I am. And I'm curious if... Because there's so many different paths that you can go on as as a beer maker. You have chosen spontaneous uh, as, as your path to walk, uh, you know, with some, with some divergence. But but by and large, I, I think I'd consider you to be a, you know, a, a spontaneous, uh, rooted in tradition, but certainly not afraid to, to screw around. What what originally drew you to that? Is, is that the writer in you? Is there is there a romance that comes with spontaneous? Is it?
2: I just fell in love with spontaneous, I think, back up for a second, I, I make like maybe, first year was like one third spontaneous, um, hopefully this year is going to be, um, about half spontaneous, um, okay. and, you know, hopefully it grows from there, but, you know, I also make like a lot of farmhouse ales and fruited sours and things like that, Brett, um, Brett beers, etc. I make a wild IPA, I make some cool ship seltzers, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I don't know, I love, I just love the taste of spontaneous beer, and I love the, what goes into making it, you know, the, the, there's both technical skill on the front end, and then a lot of artistry on the back end in terms of making blends, and, and, uh, and, you know, taking meticulous notes on each of the barrels, and, you know, knowing knowing which barrels are going to work well with which barrels on which fruit for re-fermentation, it, you know, there's a, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's all art, and I want to say it's all science, but, you know, it, it it's fairly science in, in the sense of, um, but it's also, in a way, it's forgiving, you know, um, because if you if you have no control over something, or minimal control, or some over something, or minimal intervention on something, you know, is if you have enough barrels, um, and you're getting good spontaneous, picking up good microbes, good microflora in your cool ship, you have the right cooling rate, you know, you're doing a really um, a good turbid mash, a good long boil, you got some good aged hops with a lot of beta still left in them, you know, you're going to you're going to you know be able to put together some interesting beers, but it all comes from, you know, drinking Cantillon or, or Dreyfantane or, uh, or, um, Girardine. and just being, being, having my palate opened up to those beers just, you know, changed my drinking and I always tell people I make beer, I make what I like to drink and it's not just because I'm selfish. It's, it's, I'm a little bit, but um, you know, I don't want people to tell me what to do kind of thing, right? It's like, <laughs> I always tell people, it's like the scene for American Beauty. You know, when, he's going, when she's going through the drive-thru, and uh, she's like getting handsy with the real estate king. Okay. And, and uh, Spacey's working the drive-thru, and he says to her, you don't get to tell me what to do ever again. I'm kind of like that with the world right now, right? I spent 24 years being told what to do, and I'm done. Um, but I also tell people, you know, you're not, you're not necessarily buying the beer. You're buying my palate, you know, so I want... I want to make beers that I know how to drink. If that makes any sense, um,
0: it does. It...
2: I know what a good guz tastes like. I haven't made one yet because I haven't been around long enough to have you know, one, two, and three-year-old. Um, and I had to use all my spontaneous last year just to, to you know, for keep, production. Keep right. So hopefully this year I can save a couple barrels for for a guz for like when I'm fifty. But that's something that... though.
0: It is the long game, you know. You're already talking about 24 years of, of the old job, and now 24 years of, of, of this one, which you know it's a it's a it's a nice goal. And um, but what you're doing, you can't help but think in long terms, right? I mean, so many of the IPA brewers these days, or you know, the quick kettle sour turn and burns, are they're living you know two and a half week life cycles. You know, they're, they're that's that's their that's their window. Is it freeing to think about the long term? Is it
2: worrisome to think about the long term? Is it I don't know, somewhere? It's in amazing the how quickly the long term gets there. You know, you put a beer in, in in a barrel last year and all of a sudden that beer's already a year old. You know, it's like, holy shit, where'd that year go? You know? Um, we this fever dream year we've had maybe is a little different, but yeah. um, at the same time, you know, I love those I, I mean when I'm not, when I'm out anywhere, you can find me drinking a Pilsner. Sure. I mean, because you're not going to find, you know, unless I go down to visit James at Refrendor, you know, in, in this area, I'm not really going to find, you know, spontaneous beer. And I don't really do kettle sours. Um, in uh, You know, they can be good. When I used to make them at home, I would put them in an oak barrel with Brett, you know, so to build some complexity into it. Um, but I know a lot of breweries can't do that, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I, I get the one note lactic sour and I just, you know, okay, I get it. Um, but you know, a well-made Pilsner, you know, I just, I, Yeah. I mean, you're talking to the right show. It's, yeah. it's, it's just, there's there's not, there's not a more beautiful thing in the world. So, um, I can't wait for the day where hopefully if anyone's listening who has a few million dollars, um, <laughs> I, I can assure I, you I, that they're not, I want to open a clean side, um, somewhere up. Uh, on Route 23 in Franklin we're up that way um, and keep my barrel facility and as the sour program and the cool ship and, and the barrel facility for, for the wild program um, but I'd love to have a you know where I can do pilsners and big Imper- barrel-age imperial stouts and things like that um, Yeah, and, and IPA here and there I mean I enjoy them it's usually people who start the other way though of I know because Pils- it's, it's the you need the ATM to really do the sour side yeah And, like, when you start with my side, you don't really get that ATM enough to save, like, $2 million to open up a big clean brewery. So that's why you start that way. I did it backwards because, you know, I just want to make and drink this beer. So you're a beer fan. And you're still a beer fan. I mean, you better be. You know? If you're not a fan of beer, what are you doing? But that's interesting. You still seek out
0: bottles from other places you Absolutely. still travel for beer uh even when you're not pouring your own uh, not as
2: much because it's harder now i mean yeah you know we have we've you know we've basically been persona nar grata in our grata and the rest of the world for like better part of a year now the united states not <laughs> your brewery the united states yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, was,
0: I was gonna say what did you do to get blacklisted <laughs> so yeah festivals? i
2: was supposed to i was supposed to spend like a good two weeks in belgium in in april i was actually going to be pouring it was me Degarde Oxbow and Allagash were the four breweries who were supposed to pour at the Night of the Great Thirst. How'd you get invited to that? I, I've gotten to know Eve Peniel, who's the president of a Good Society and one of the owners of Growth d'Orst uh, fairly well. Uh-huh. We, he, he and I went to Allagash uh, last year um, while we were up at Ebenezer's in, in Lovell, which is like kind of my home away from home. Okay, um, it's a great bar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, I I definitely. I, I would say I like to travel, and I don't I don't necessarily travel for beer anymore. But if I'm traveling anywhere, I'm seeking out beer. You know, except when I go to Belgium. You know, I was supposed to... You know, it was quintessence at Cantillon. It was the open beer days, or uh, the the days of the twists at Dre. Uh, we had a, a Cantillon wine, uh, grape lambic uh, tasting at dinner at Fooder. Um, I'm sorry, at Muder. Um We, uh... There were so many things. I was going to hang out with the guys from Antidote. Uh, I was going to see Raph from from Bach Rider. I mean, we we had I had a fun two weeks planned. So yeah, I mean, it's it's fun. I hope I hope the brewery is successful enough in the next couple of years. You know that I can basically spend a month in Belgium every year. More in just a moment, but first, this episode
0: is made possible by Cigar City Brewing. If you haven't had a Highline IPA in a while. What's stopping you? It's the great IPA you remember with tropical fruit accents, just the right amount of bitterness, and a proper 7.5% ABV. Pick some up today and learn more at CigarCityBrewing.com. And now, back to Tom Troncone of Muckraker Beer Maker. How much do those trips now feed into what you put back into the brewery? Because you've been open for, uh, I guess, just over a year now. A little over a year. But... In the lead up to it, you were brewing batches and you were really starting to think about how, how much of what you experience you know, over the last two, three years of travel has directly fed into the brewery versus what you were doing on your travels beforehand.
2: I would say that this is 2019 would be at the 17, I guess, 2017, um, not at a great thirst in Lovell, Maine. Um, was probably if, if I didn't go up there for that, I probably wouldn't have a brewery today. You know, it was one of those things where I just want, it just, just, I met the right people. It just felt right. You know, I started really, really learning about, um, you know, spontaneous fermentation, um, drinking some of the best lambics on planet earth. Um, and it became like a, you know, couple year crash. I mean, I had been making spontaneous beer before that, but after that, it just became became like all encompassing, like a complete crash course in spontaneous fermentation. Um, and I would say that coupled with quintessence, uh, the following year and, you know, drinking all the, those Cantions, um, uh, you know, which is probably the biggest inspiration honestly is you know, if I make a a grape Amlam, yeah. you know, I, my reference points are, you know, St. Lamb and Vig and all those, you know, Sophia, all those big, beautiful yeah. Cantillon Grape Lambics. Um, and, you know, the blending as well. I mean, um, Raph at uh, Bach has been a huge help and a huge inspiration because, you know, he, he, he was someone I could lean on as I was getting a brewery going to. You know, answer questions about, you know, barrel rinsing and and minutia of like spacing out um, like the floors to, to get totes through the barrels and all that jazz. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, he really showed me if you take a, a beautiful uh, Lambic, you know, if you get Girardine Lambic and uh, de Troc or whatever, Lindemans, um, but Girardine especially, and you blend it with one of Danny's saisons from, from Fantôme, you know, and then you go out to the Rhineland and you hand select some barrels from vineyards that have been there from the 1300s. And then you go and find super overripe, you know, red vineyard peaches, like somewhere in Germany, um, you know, and you do that blend and you put it in that barrel and you put on those peaches, you know, sourcing the ingredients and, and, you know, raised it, brought it to another level and, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, you take inspiration from, I didn't take inspiration from a business plan, put it that way. You know, I didn't take inspiration from how can we make some money? I took inspiration from these beers are amazing. How do I do this? And but
0: see, that, so that's the thing, right? Because you can't replicate somebody else's business plan. We've seen breweries try to do that or try to replicate their marketing plans. And it just, it sort of feels inauthentic, but so much of it I think for what you're trying to do and what you have been doing is you have to be sort of rooted in your place and you have to, you know, love and accept the place that you're in because, you know, you'll never be in downtown Brussels, you know, you'll never be, you know, in you know various parts of Belgium or, or, or wherever, like you, you're going to be where you are. And I think one of the great beauties of so many of these um, lambic breweries, lambic producers have been, you know, they use what's around them and they've embraced know, their microflora, they've embraced, uh, you know, their, their, their place. Um, when you were trying to decide where to open up, were you thinking about that? Were you thinking about where you wanted to
2: put down your roots? Absolutely. Um, and I knew I wanted to do it somewhere that was wooded that, you know, had a lot of forests that, um, That had a lot of farmland, had a rich farming tradition. Um, Pass that bottle. It's almost done. That's all right. Might be a little chunky. Uh, Had a rich farming tradition. Um, And, you know, I knew I would get, hope that I would get, you know, quality microflora. And I have, I think. You're drinking a beer right now. That's 100% spontaneous, uh, you know, amlam, you know, traditional method. Spontaneous beer. Um with added vanilla. With a little added vanilla, yeah. Um, it
0: almost comes off as coconut oil in this. Hmm. Interesting. I was trying to I was trying to place what it was. Like my first instinct was vanilla, but then I started getting, you know, like food grade coconut oil, not you know,
2: we're going down to sandals for the weekend. That's no, Mexican coconut that Mexican, oil. Mexican yeah. vanilla. Yeah. Um okay. so you know, we I get all my grain from New Jersey. Um, all my grain comes from Rabbit Hill Malt Farm down in Cumberland County. I, um, I try to get as much fruit as I can from New Jersey. You know, we lost our peach crop in, in northern New Jersey this year. Um, so I had to go down to the furthest south I've ever been, like on the Delaware River to, um, <laughs> to, to get peaches this year. Okay. Um, there were like Confederate flags flying. I was like, what's going on? Yeah The um, furthest
0: south that I've ever been on the Delaware is deep water. Which is a, a company town right underneath the Delaware Memorial Bridge that like 3M owns, and it's where uh, chemicals go to die or essentially be dumped. Well, and they tried really to, to get rid of VX gas a couple of years ago. Oh. Uh, you know, in this place, and so it's yeah. So the, uh, that's my old report. I went a little, little further. Yeah.
2: I went a little further south from the peach farm because <laughs> I was really close to the Delaware Bay, and I came to a little beach town on the Delaware Bay. I didn't even know there were little beach towns on on the Delaware Bay. And there was one of them that I was like, "Oh, let's check this out!" And there was this, like a giant like Confederate flag, and I'm like, "Okay, I'm gonna turn around and drive back north." I didn't realize we were south of the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, anyway, um, so and Nirvana lasts longer than the Confederacy. Yikes! Um, anyway, um, sure. So, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, the idea of, um, I got all my peaches from New Jersey, all my nectarines from New Jersey, all my blueberries come from um, a blueberry farm, uh, in, in, in Hamilton, all my, um, i blackberries came from a uh, blackberry farm in Hamilton. My blueberries came from down there. Um, you know, I try to use as much real whole local fruit, um, as possible whenever I can. Um, and you know, it kind of, you know, I do use, um, European hops just because I, want that noble hop in in, in uh, some of the beers, the the uh, spontaneous beers do not matter as much because you really just want the beta acids, you want the alpha acids aged out of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, sense of place is important, you know, and in, in Franklin, where I am, is an old mining town, so one of the first beers I made was a Grisette, which was the beer of the, Saison was the beer of the farmers, Grisette was the beer of the miners, you know? Yeah. Um, so... Had that go over? Because I was up
0: there one of your first opening weekends, and the town council came walking in, and I I saw them before you did, and they were talking to somebody else, and the guys looking at the list. One of the council members, he said, "I don't see Guinness on here. Where's the Guinness?" You know. And then you came out, and you know, you're like, "Oh, well, how you doing? Welcome!" And the guy's like, "Oh, do you have any any like Guinness?" And you're like, "Well, actually, we make everything here, and this is what we have." And you know, I you you opened up a in an area that might not be ready for grisettes yeah i don't know i, mean, and I don't know how much of the country is actually ready for grisettes
2: it's uh everyone's ready for a grisette um but look i mean you go i want to say that on a t-shirt yeah <laughs> as soon as you i mean you go 10 minutes north of me and you're or 15 minutes north of me and you're in new york state you know uh uh Drownlands lands is up there and, and and they're making um amazing beers that yeah, uh they've been on the show yeah okay um and uh you know, you have, um, what's the one at Wappinger Fall, Ober Creek, mm-hmm. um, you know, Hudson Valley and Suarez and, All right, stand and corrected. Plan B. No, my, my point is it's not being stand corrected. It's, it's um, that has not been, what, what you described there has not been my overall experience. Uh, every now and then someone comes in and, you know, either they leave, after, they leave like a half empty beer and go and you realize that this wasn't the kind of beer they were hoping for. Um, but more often than not, I find that, look, there's 122 breweries in New Jersey now, I believe, you know, 120 of them can make, um, you know, can just two of us make all wild beer. Um, now, you know, we're, I'm anxiously awaiting, and Mike Kane, if you're listening, can you please start releasing beers from your wild program? <laughs> um, uh,
0: I, I can assure
2: you that Mike Kane isn't listening to the well, show. Well, if anything, someone please get word to Mike Kane. To start releasing beer from the wild program because you know a rising tide lifts all boats. You know, if people start to get more exposure to you know that, this type of beer. You know, then they're going to seek it out, and that's what that's what my experience is. I get a lot of people come in and say, "I had my first this," or "I had my first wild beer," or "I had my first mixed culture beer." Um, so, are you saying you need the larger
0: producers? At this point, because, you know, Mike Kane and, and, and his great brewery, I don't necessarily think of them when it comes to, to wild spontaneous or, you know, anything because, you know, the program isn't necessarily off the ground. I've had some delicious beers from them that have been outside of their norms. But I think people go there for the IPAs. They go there for the stouts. They go there for
2: now because you, you haven't had an opportunity to have any of those beers yet.
0: Right. But, but what I'm saying is, so do you need somebody who hasn't released something yet? To raise up your profile of something that you've been doing now for the better part of the year.
2: I don't know if we need it. I think that the more people who make this type of beer, the more exposure people get to it. Look, you know, I probably if if I never had a cantillon, right? Yeah. I would probably not know that I should seek out Oxbow's Native Wild. You know, I mean, it, it's 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 kind of a thing where once you get the taste for the beer, which you get the taste for any beer, you know, if, when I remember when I first Fell in love with Pilsner's. It was like, Oh, who makes these? You know, it's <laughs> everybody. <laughs> well not everyone who makes these well. Not everyone. Um, who stands out in your mind in the Pilsner game in New Jersey? No, I well, wherever. I'm gonna tell you in New Jersey. All right, I love parking lot pills from uh, from Hackensack. Okay, um, I love the Pilsner from Mud Hen. Uh, they're in Wildwood. Okay, it's a brew pub in Wildwood. They were pouring next to me in Morristown, and I probably had 15 of them um uh, smaller you know sure sort of, yeah, yeah, 15, yeah small. 15 small pores yeah, yeah. 15 uh,
0: ounces yeah it wasn't even a pint it was probably closer to
2: 30 <laughs> um <laughs> but um you know uh i like the you know the, I, I was at i went to a verse bar in jersey city yeah yeah like last i don't even know when it was you know it could have been january and it feels like three years ago now um and they had flown in oh, yeah, like the, the real pills pilsner raquel, raquel. You know, and that was
0: a, cr- it was down the street from my old apartment. I just it's, sat there uh, and yeah. just
2: boom, one after the other, you know, with some brass and some Pilsner Cal. I mean, yeah, no, um, that was a great way of doing it. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, uh, the, uh, I had a, the cane Pilsner, um, I forget the name of it. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't know if they've made too many of them, but the one that he did was delicious. Twin Elephant did an Italian Pilsner. That was really good. Thank um, you, Justin Kennedy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no so I don't know who's that.
0: That's another. That's a joke from another show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I host like nine podcasts, and they all start to bleed together yeah. after a while.
2: Oxbows, the, the Lupula, um, Italian Pilsner. Um, you know that 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 kind of dry hop Pilsner vibe that that's going on now a little bit, the noble dry hop Pilsner vibe. Um, all right. Well, that's a good list. Yeah. I mean, it could go on. I can go on and on. You know, beer. Stat. Well, open
0: up that beer. Well, sure, obviously, beer stop. But yeah, uh, open up that beer while we're talking because I'm curious about we've been talking a lot of like tradition, a lot of place, a lot of, um, when you first got into this and announced that you were going pro and I started talking to you about what your business plan was going to be. Cause you were always the guy, who would invite me to, you know, poker rider shares or, you know, and like you had to have, you know, things that nobody else had. And I, I, I don't have those. Like I don't get access to like, you know, the cool guy beers. Um, you should yeah. though, you could. I, I maybe. But like but 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 I don't and I didn't. Um, but I started thinking of you as this very, you know, serious traditional um you know, wanted to be rooted in tradition kind of brewer. And then I visited your brewery after shortly after it opened and I was like, all right, this is what Tom's doing. And I, and, and and I dig that. And then almost out of nowhere, you start doing batshit crazy things like, you know, tomato and pepper beers, uh, and like white pepper beers, not just garden pepper, but like, you know, the, the spice. And then you're doing slushies and now you're doing cool ship, hard seltzers. It, It, it didn't, the circle didn't square with what I thought you were going to do. And I'm curious as to if that was part of the plan all along, or is this just part of your, I'm in my second career. I don't have to answer to anybody. I don't give a fuck kind of thing.
2: Yes. Uh, (laughs) um, First of all, there was no plan. Um, You know, uh, second of all, um, you know i just I want to have fun you know it's it's the same way folks don't necessarily make a lot of spontaneous beers right or mixed culture beers um around the area you know what ha- what if you took a mixed culture beer and put it in <laughs> or a spontaneous beer and put it in a slushy machine you know and uh and people mm-hmm. were doing that, but sugar. they're
0: doing that with kettle sours, or right. Doing that
2: I did it with this beer, yeah. the beer you're drinking right now. Okay, I put in a slushy machine with with a little bit of sugar, and people were losing their minds over it. It was like this bright red. It's uh, it's a framboise. Are,
0: cur- are there currants in this, or is no, it so it's, it's a, it's a yeah. Raspberry,
2: oh, uh, raspberries and uh, Montmorency cherries. Wow. Okay,
0: because it has that sort of tannic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the skins really sort of pop in here, which was making me think of currants for a minute. And there's
2: also um, maple syrup, and cider syrup from a small family farm in Vermont, and some vanilla. Okay. Um, you like vanilla? I like vanilla in berry beers. I think vanilla works really nicely with berries. I think it cuts through the acidity. It adds like a roundness to it, um, whereas you're not just drinking a a, a dry, acidic, astringent beer. Um, not I, I, that it's I, always astringent, not that it's really astringent, but like you add that... The uh, vanilla just sort of mellows uh, mellows out the, the the sourness of it. It makes it, I think, really tasty. At, at what point? But uh, I'm gonna answer your other question. Yeah, first. all right, answer the other question. But like the Cool Ship seltzer is like, okay, I have a Cool Ship. I want to make seltzers because why not? And the seltzer I have, I brought for you to drink today, um, essentially went through the Cool Ship, and then um, I fermented out with a mixed culture, and then re-fermented it on the spent uh raspberries from this beer so it was a spontaneous beer the raspberries were sitting there pulled that beer off the raspberries and put the seltzer you know um i call you call call the seltzer i mean i guess we have to uh it's actually a malt beverage um but you know where's the line i i have one right now um i have two right now 51 percent seltzer air quotes um, and one is 49% unpasteurized cider for a co-ferment. And the other one is I, I put like in one barrel like 100 pounds of old vine Zinfandel grapes with, 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 a, with, the, with the Kvike seltzer. So I don't know, man. Just have, just have fun, you know. We're all going to die. Have fun.
0: <laughs> At what point, though? do we get to with vanilla and maple syrup and everything being added at what point are we into pastry Pastry sours yeah pastry sours yeah
2: i mean i'm i I love pastry sours um i love the alex loving was on the show uh from barntown we were talking about this yeah i love the Not necessarily i don't know i hate the term pastry i like the idea of sweet and sour playing off each other you know um I've always loved that flavor combination of sweet and sour. Yeah. You know, sweet and sour chicken or, or sweet tarts or whatever. Sure. Um, and I think that works really well in 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 sour beer. Um, you add a little sweetness to it, and now it's, it's, A, it adds a little complexity. B, it makes it eminently more drinkable. Yeah. Um, yeah, and... what's
0: the cocktail that, that's sweet and sour? It's like sour mix and... Whiskey I, sour? I, yeah, no. you
2: go whiskey sour, a Midori sour, or something like that. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, a lot of... I think a lot of um, cocktails play off of sweet and sour. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but I not mean, a, not a ton of beer. I made a I made an old fashioned beer. It was called old fashioned. It was a, a mixed culture. It was a, basically a farmhouse ale saison, whatever you want to call it. Um, put it in a gin barrel with like fifty pounds of cracked green olives, you know. And I, I I released it on for New Year's Eve last year, and it was called old Acquaintance. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You just—I saw the reviews of it.
0: People, people dug it. People if, if you it like, fun.
2: if you like dirty martinis, you yeah. love it. If you don't like dirty martinis, you're going to hate it. One star. One star. I'm allergic to olives. I—I yeah, I mean, <laughs> don't get me started.
0: <laughs> I'll save it. for I don't want to be off. controversial, John. Oh, why? Why start now? <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think the key takeaway, as as uh, as as I say, thanks for being on the show
2: uh, from you, is uh, that we're all going to die one day. I don't know if that's the key takeaway. If you didn't know that already, <laughs> I would, <laughs> I mean, we, you know, at the end of the day, what are going to say? Oh, you know, Tom made a lot of money. Or are going to say, man, Tom left behind some pretty good beer? You know, I mean. are you ba- Are you building your beers to age? Do you want your beers to outlive you? I don't know if I want them to outlive me. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, well, I mean, like, like, you know, I, I'm talking, I'd like to, I'd like 40, to 40, 40, 50, 60 years. Some of the beers. I, yeah. I do two types of spontaneous beers. I do a, a traditional method because mm-hmm. I'm not into the method traditionnel. you know, we have English word. We speak English here. We have English words. We can use them. It's traditional method. Um, and I, some of the, like some of the more serious brewers in the country behind that though. Yeah. I mean, but you know, that's fine. All right. But I, I, to me, it's like. I, I had this conversation with Eve when we were driving to Allagash, you know. He just said to me, he goes, you just can't call it Lambic, you know. I was like, all right, we have our own words. You know, I don't make a Berliner Weisse. Yeah. I make a tart wheat beer. Why? Because I'm not from Berlin, and we have our own word for wheat. Yeah. You know, it's a... <laughs> okay. You know, we, why is it a method Traditional? It's a traditional method, but I also... Which is the really traditional method, you know, Lambic-style beer, Um and then I make a, a what I call contemporary. I just kind of start using the term contemporary method, which is more of a you know single infusion, um, short boil, uh, pre-acidified in a cool ship to drop the pH to a level of that enteric bacteria it can't thrive, um, so that you can turn those beers around in like you know six months, seven months. Um, basically, uh, you know uh, I've had some brewers walk me through that method who use it, and it's it's really successful. Um, so the contemporary method, traditional stuff, I mean, contemporary method, spontaneous stuff, you know, that's probably not going to age. Um, but that turbid mash, long boil, you know, year plus in, in a punch in, um, you know, the, to me, the, the wine grape ones, um, you know, you you could drink those in you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Sure. I wouldn't do that with the, the fruit forward ones because fruit tends to fade. You know, um, or you know, a raspberry will become more acidic over time, or um, you know, stone fruit same way. But you know, wine grapes especially, you know, are made that that beer will those beers will go 25, 30 years if they go a day. Yeah, matter of fact, they'll probably be better in 10 years. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple different types of of methods um, in making it spontaneous that uh, either if you're going to age or just kind of like you want to get that. It's almost like a kettle sour, except it's spontaneous, you know. Well,
0: perfect. I think we're at the end of this. Oh, oh. Well, does hang that, out and Does have that mean beer we have
2: to stop drinking? No, hang out okay. and have another beer. Um, we should just, like, let it keep recording as we're drinking, and just uh, it picks up just bullshit.
0: I think that was, like, three magazine podcasts ago, but yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it's great to see you again. You look considerably more alive, even though we're all going to die one day, but you look- so much better than when the last time I saw you. So thanks for... Oh, that's right. Yeah, because that,
2: that's, that's called bringing it back around. You like that? Yeah, yeah good this, job.
0: Uh, in, in journalism parlance, this is called The Kicker. Ah, quite professional, John. And Tom lived happily ever after. We'll see. <laughs> that's my old pal, Tom Troncone. There's always a worry I have when friends start making beer. Because if it's shitty, I'm going to have to tell them so, and then I might lose a friend. Thankfully, Tom is making beers that are not only inventive and flavorful, but fun to drink. If you're not a local, make plans to visit New Jersey soon and to check out his brewery. We talked about this a little last week, but it's also worth repeating. We're in a tough time with the pandemic, and this is also a time of year with a lot of stresses. Please take the time to check in with yourself and others. You're not alone in feeling the pressures of the day, and it's okay to ask for help if you need it. There are people who are here for you and want to lend a hand. I also want to thank you for listening, and I want you to remind you to reach out with questions, suggestions, or more. You can reach me at JohnHall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at BeerEdge.com, or on Twitter at John underscore Hall. BeerEdge is online at BeerEdge.com, and there you can subscribe to the newsletter and check out the podcast hosted by Andy Crouch. And we're also on all the social medias as well, at The Beer Edge. Nate Schwaber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo. Tune in to steal this beer every Monday to hear my deep sighs, and monthly to the BYO Nano Podcast, where I talk shop with small brewers. Before we go, as promised, Neil Callahan, he's the brand manager of Cigar City Brewing, is back with me right now. And my thanks to the brewery for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Neil, when it comes to High what hops are you using and you know, what sort of flavors do they bring out?
1: We've got six different hop varieties in Highlight. We've got some of the more traditional American hop varieties, the Cascade, Centennial, um, some CTZ for those high alpha acids. For, does does have that bittering, but then Simcoe is really the star of the show. It's what we dry hop Highlight IPA with, and that's where we're getting a lot of those candied orange, tropical sort of nectarine tangerine qualities it's phenomenal
0: i'm a big fan of ipa and food pairings and i'm curious as to in your mind where highlight really excels when it comes with pairing with food
1: for my money highlight ipa and shrimp pad thai knocks it out of the park every single time it does have enough caramel and enough body to balance out some of the heat that you'll get in the pad thai but it allows for a lot more of a nuance to come out of the dish and um, the tropical qualities of the beer, it's just like squeezing a little bit of orange over the dish. It's its really wonderful.
0: Finally, give us the stats on this beer.
1: It's 7.5% ABV, 65 IBUs, six different hot varieties, tropical, balanced, phenomenal beer.
0: Thanks, Neil, and thanks to Cigar City Brewing for being this episode's sponsor. You should head out and get some highlight today, and you can learn more at CigarCityBrewing.com. And that's it for this week. New episodes drop every Wednesday. I'm John Hall, and that's when I'll be back again to drink beer and to think beer.